Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Caught, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is someone who just had to hear a very graphic description of my food poisoning, TJ. Hey, that's okay. I, uh, I'm i fine with... Uh, We're there. Know. Our friendship yeah. is there. We can talk about stuff. Exactly. doesn't even phase me. <laughs> you know, I've, I've seen people do things. It's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyways, don't eat Taco Bell is the moral of that story. <laughs> so, DJ, how have you been? It's um, been you a know, couple of weeks. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been ups. It's been downs. Uh, you know, uh, been arounds. Uh, I'm doing okay. Um. You know, uh, winter is starting to break. Maybe I can start growing some vegetables in the house and uh, mm. getting them ready to go out into the actual garden. You know, building some stuff. It's it's been you know it's a it's a thing. Um, sad news. We we lost yeah. our our favorite uh, Pomeranian of eighteen years. Um, I had to remove the little bed that sits next to my office oh, desk today, geez. which is a uh, yeah, you know, you don't think you'd miss a dog as much as you, you know, as you do until they're not like sitting on your lap while you're doing your normal daily work. And uh, but yeah, uh, otherwise, it's OK. Um, you know, uh, we're we're doing good. How about you, Rachel? I'm doing OK. I didn't I didn't know if you wanted to talk about Hero, so I didn't like start out the gate asking about her. I hope you didn't. Like oh it. no it's it's okay um i'm so glad i got to meet her she was such an awesome little creature who had such an you gave her such an amazing life um like we could people could only wish to have the kind of like love and adventure that she experienced yeah you and you got and, you guys got lucky too you um like it was like a five-day run she went from like a hundred percent just to like starting to not eat to like not moving around much to like mm. it was it was real fast um and the the cancer like just really took over so i uh, was glad you got to see her in her yeah. still in her prime ish yeah. <laughs> she's so funny it's so hard because i know for me i always struggle with that decision of like when is it the right time to say goodbye and it sounds like maybe she gave you a pretty clear answer. Which is... Oh, we were able to, um, and I, I don't want to bore everybody with the, the dog stuff too much, but um, luckily we had enough time seeing what was happening. We had about mm -hmm. five days. We um, were able to take her to friend's place and let them like all pass her around and carry her for an hour at a time. And like, mm -hmm. um really got to spend time with all the people around here that she sees on a regular basis. Yeah. And by Saturday, um, we could only get her to eat a few pieces of bacon and, mm -hmm. and that was it. She wouldn't eat anything else and like wasn't drinking in water and was pretty much not, not, not going to make it yeah. through the day. So like it timing wise, it, it was, it was better to, you know, as as good as it can be for that yeah. sort of situation. Well, well, my condolences to you and Danny and Giz. Um, I know that she's going to leave a hole in your life, but you know, you it's the this is the shitty part, right? Like this is the bargain you strike when you bring these amazing creatures into your lives. They bring you so much joy. You bring them so much joy, and then this part. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. It sucks. Yep. Oh, bud. Well, if you want to talk about it more, I'm available. But I also don't want to make you talk about. Something oh no, that's no. I, you, sad. I, you know, I don't, I'm not a super crier, but I got all my tears out already. Oh, um, bud. now it's just like you know, remembering her in their best of times and like trying to yeah. find some good pictures for some frames and. and hmm, I know. wonder if you have any photos of. <laughs> 
<laughs> if only you had taken some pictures, Teej. Yeah, yeah, that one, that one's fine. <laughs> I yeah. will say that after being at your house, now my partner's like, okay, we got to get the setup like DJ has where like the pictures play on the TV and stuff. I was like, okay, <laughs> we can do that. We can do that. He was very, very impressed by that because we we got a new TV that you, it's the one you have where you can't just have like a, you can't leave the screen because it might burn. Oh, yeah. It might give you burning. So it yeah. moves your pictures. Yeah. Yep. So so I suspect when you come to visit us, there may be a little bit of a slideshow going on. Yeah. That one <laughs> has a Google TV behind it. So if you're wondering what the secret sauce is, our slideshow is Google TV just like immediately defaulting to showing Google TV pictures. Nice. Okay. I will pass on that information. Yep. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about our plan for this episode. We're going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation about Wolves of the Kala, Part 2, Telling Tales, Chapter 9. The priest tale concluded parenthetical unfound sections 1 through 10 because as you pointed out to me partway through this week, this chapter is hella long, so we decided to go ahead and break it into two parts. <laughs> yeah, this is a monster chapter. Like, I... I, I was like, holy cow, we're we're going to have a show. I know. You're like, I'm on part 16. I was like, oh, shit. I, know. I got to 19 <laughs> and I started to panic. I'm like, I don't know if I could remember all this. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I totally busted. Like I had clearly not done my homework at that point. You're like, do you know how long this is? And I was like, oh, I think I was like hiking and I saw your message. And I was like, oh, oops. <laughs> regroup replan so anyway everybody at home uh that's what we're going to be covering this episode if you've listened to the whole or read the whole chapter don't worry we're going to get to it on the next episode i promise okay so before we get into any of that though in case somebody has wandered into our podcast for the first time ever what is our spoiler policy on the cast car I mean, uh, uh, like a man standing over you with a knife ready to draw a line across your forehead into the <laughs> shape of a cross, um, we will uh, we will cut a line in the sand to let you know when we're going to cross into the spoiler zone. You know it. Oh, my God. That part is intense. I know we it's, will it's, get there. it's dripping with uh, with with yeah. spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> We won't like it the spoilers go pouring into your eyes or, <laughs> or crack open your jaw with one. Don't worry. We'll warn you. We'll warn you. My face is a little lopsided, but it's fine. All right, Deej. Where did we last leave off with our content? Okay, so uh, we, were, we just finished up with Roland and the door. And uh, then also the gang had been dropped off at uh, uh, Took's Market. And, uh, you know, it was like kind of ready to sit outside and protest their treatment from the old shop owner. And uh, Roland had, you know, uh, learned about the cassette player and all these other things. And now we roll into the present. And the gang is coming back from their long tour of being interviewed by townsfolk, mm-hmm. <laughs> which this one's like, it's kind of interesting. So uh, if you've ever had to talk for a long time to a lot of people, there's actually some truth to this. So when Stephen King writes this, he writes it, you know, that the, they spent five or six hours mm-hmm. in front of this store to the point where like, um, you know, even Oi, like Jake had to go in and ask for some water and they handed him a tin and said, get your own damn water, kid, you know, <laughs> like go out there and, and like they basically answered question after question, talked to people, reassured them to the point where like Eddie has this moment where his internal dialogue is like, uh, 
you know, uh, we were giving a politician answers by that time because, you know, it's like we're just, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies and like letting them know what they want to hear from us. And even Oi is like doing his part to talk to people. And if you've ever been in that situation, you will find yourself, even though you haven't exercised at all, coming home or or getting in your car and just feeling completely wiped or exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I know as a person who's performed in large crowds and and entertains people and teaches, anytime I've had to constantly deal with conversation for a long period of time, it definitely takes uh, takes more energy than you would expect it to. And at some point, you're just kind of like, I need to sleep or just sit quietly, <laughs> sip my coffee or, or whatever. And this is not unapparent to the rest of the gang because, you know, um, basically Callahan has Rosetta like uh, um, uh, set up a uh, a bed and like ready to go for him. And they roll back into the, uh, to his place and like it's three o'clock in the afternoon. And they're like, well, uh, what, what about this bed? And he, she's like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, um, Jake and Oi can go sleep in in this room. I've got approval. Uh, you know, um, you know, you and Susanna can sleep in the room you slept in before. And then she's like, uh, you know, like kind of is like Roland. Hey man, um, I, you you need some of that salve? And he's oh, like, uh, which way? Which way you want to rub me, girl? Like, like a little bit of up, a little bit of down, and. And we actually close out this section with like, and Roland was satisfied. <laughs> oh my God. It's worse than that. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> so, okay. Stepping back a little bit. Like I agree. Like I've never been on the receiving end of those, like, you know, a tour or that kind of experience. But um, I have been the person doing the interviews, like in a ju- junk, like a, in a junket junk or something it. like that. And it's like exhausting to do my tiny little part. And I can tell by the end of the day, like when people are just wiped out, I have like so much empathy for them. But I definitely feel like this is King here. Like this is actually him talking about yeah, his exactly. experiences with like book tours and stuff. You can feel him being like, you guys know, but seriously, these book tours are freaking exhausting. I don't even know if he, I don't think he does them or anything like this anymore. I think he's ascended past that level and you can see his disdain for that experience here. I mean, the first, like, so if if you're an author or someone who's, like, made some notoriety, the first couple of times, it's a novel and unique experience, and you're super excited, but about, like, number 20, 25, you're like, you're going to ask me the same GD questions that I've been asked, like, 27 times by other people, and, like, when I respond with something deeper than, like, yes or no, you're not going to have a good follow-up. It'll just be, like, a, you know, low low ref follow-up. Yeah, I know. I always feel this is a bad to have. This is solely sidetracked. But, like, I'm always, like, trying to balance this thing. Like, the people pleaser in me wants to, like, give them a good time. But then sometimes I'll come away and I'll be like, well, I don't have anything to write about. Shit! <laughs> so like trying to find the balance of like this is the basic shit I actually need you to talk about and like try to come up with like one or two unique questions but but yeah it is that is tricky um sorry but go ahead continue oh, oh no 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 so uh so basically we find out that Rose Rosalita has this like little um cottage out back with like her own private area that's like um I guess moss surrounded by some trees oh, and a little pond. Oh my god, I am so grossed out by this metaphor. <laughs> what? Whoa. Did you not catch that? That's a metaphor. 
Oh no, I didn't. I did not actually catch that. I'm, okay, now let that me I say it out loud. You. I'm sorry. Like I, I, I just was like, oh yeah, she has a nice little. <laughs> let me read you the quote because once again, King's sexy talk is so awkward and uncomfortable. Like I get, like I totally buy that. Every, you know, he would show up in a town and that like the sexy lady in the house would want to bang a gunslinger. Like the novel. But someone walks it. up to Stephen King is like, bro, do you even? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Like he's like a celebrity of celebrities, a mythical, almost godlike creature. Of course, people want to bang him. I get it. I buy it. The game though is so weak and uncomfortable with the like, oh, would you want to be rubbed? Perhaps we could go find some pleasure of our own. Like it is the worst D and D dialogue. But then <laughs> this metaphor made me want to barf. She kept a secret spring surrounded by sweet moss, and there he was refreshed. <laughs> I didn't even pick that up as a as a metaphor. He's talking about you... vaginas and pubic hair. <laughs> it's so exciting. Yeah, I I didn't that like sailed right past me. I was just like, oh, she has like a little pond next to her cabin. Mm, a lady <laughs> pond. <laughs> okay, yeah. Now I feel like stupid for missing. No, out. no. I I'm sorry that I ruined your like ignorance is bliss moment. It, I have shattered it. <laughs> but go ahead i'm sorry carry on uh and you know so we get that rolling scene we also get this like cute scene where like jake and oi basically like snuggle up and fall asleep yeah. and you know and then there's this like kind of inner moment too with eddie where like uh, yeah. he realizes that um that he is exhausted and that this is probably like it may not be the nicest thing that anybody's ever done for him, but he can't think of anything nicer at the moment, which is like a really interesting take on Eddie as a whole that that, that like someone just like having prepped bed for him is like this moment that really takes him. Um, yeah, I don't think he's had a lot of caretaking in his life. Like if you think about it, like I don't know how nurturing his mother is. His father is MIA. And like the mater or the paternal figure in his life was his horrible brother. So yeah, probably simple gestures like this feel like foreign and incredibly moving. Well, and and as we have this moment, so um, you know, Eddie's kind of like taken back, and then they head to the bedroom, and Susanna stops him, and she's like, "I know you went and saw Grandpa, you know, <laughs> and he probably told you some stuff, but don't tell me." Yeah. And you're like, yeah. wait, what? And like, mm -hmm. that's a weird little like yeah. thing that she's like, no, no, uh, you know, tell those guys later. But like, I, I don't need to hear it. No, you can tell me later. And like, we need to go to sleep. <laughs> and like, that's that moment. You're like, wait, does she know? Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. there's a tiny little subtle reference somewhere in here to her, like, you know, stomach pain. Um, which like falls in line with this bit, which sort of does make me feel like a little bit of uh, Susanna is realizing what like fake Susanna is up to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a handful of cute or not cute, but interesting sort of character moments in here. There's a cute one with Jake and then a more concerning one that happens with Eddie and Susanna, like with Jake, He's been relegated or gifted, however you want to put it, uh, with the honor of sleeping in Pear Callahan's room with Oi. And he feels very like uh, guilty and uncomfortable with it. And I think it kind of 
it's a subtle thing, but I think it kind of speaks to his discomfort around extending beyond like boundaries, like his desire to respect other people's space and to not really feel comfortable entering those spaces. And it reflects on kind of why psychologically he would have issues with being asked to go into Susanna's mind the way that mm. he does. Um, it's very telling that he later plucks something out of Roland's and doesn't necessarily feel uncomfortable doing that because I feel like there's some stuff around, you know, being forced to cross those lines, maybe feeling less compunction about crossing those lines with Roland, but we'll get there. Um, and then with Susanna and Eddie, it's very interesting because he wants to tell her like, hey, I know this thing about the wolves. And she tells him like, no, no, no don't tell me now maybe tell me later definitely tell Roland I don't know and you can read it two ways you can read it as she's just exhausted she doesn't want to get into something right now all she wants to do is lay down and go to sleep understandable but I think there's also this other read of it that there's some part of her that maybe thinks something is wrong and that she can't be trusted with this information but her she's very good at finding plausible deniability in terms for herself internally, mm -hmm. but also for us, the readers, not to really be able to tell exactly what's going on. And it kind of mirrors something with Roland where he is returning home from, you know, while they're going to sleep. And he, it's this little detail about his legs being outside the stirrups. And you could read that as he's exhausted from this hike up the mountain that he did with uh, Henchik, but you can also read it as something's going on with the dry test. So we have these sort of like psychological gray areas and hints happening around Susanna and these physical hints in, around um, like, and gray areas around Roland physically. And, mm -hmm. and regardless of what it is, the effect is the same and that we end up with sort of the sense of dread and tension. So it's like really well crafted as bad as, and as much as I will make fun of the like mossy whatever <laughs> um, that is happening with his sexy talk, like he definitely is a craftsman that can create like a real sense of dread and tension. Now, there is a moment where like Stephen King takes pains to mention that the sun sets in like yes. the West. What is yes. that about? Okay, I actually grabbed that quote because I thought it was so beautifully written and I do think it actually speaks to something here. He says, a rectangle of light moves steadily up their bodies as the sun sets. It moved back from uh, it had moved back into the true West, at least for the time being. And so this is something that Roland takes note of. And it's it's sort of this cosmological alignment that's happening where it's like things are back where they're supposed to be in this world where everything is broken. And I think it's one of those things that reminds us how broken time and space and everything is. But also in the same way that we we would see in. Um, the wasteland when people were on the path of Ka, mm -hmm. there were signs and this to me feels like they're back on track i mean i think the use of of the phrase true west is also interesting just in the context of like this being such a western true western setup but i i think more to the point is it says that like they're doing what they're supposed to be and things are back on track after the world time had kind of frozen and broken down at the beginning of the book where they were just sort of wandering lost in the desert between the end of wizard and glass and king picking up the story again in the in the uh, wolves of the kala hmm. what do okay. you think i don't know i <laughs> i wasn't sure what to think honestly um the the statement struck me as important i just yeah. wasn't like i was like well true west like does that mean they're on the right track like yeah. are they doing the right thing is that what it's supposed I to think mean so i think so 
Because, like, I feel, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought of the sun and, like, being in the right position was almost like a guiding compass sort of thing. Yes, or, like, I think so, too. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so for me, at least, I was like, well, I, I don't know about the other stuff, but, like, the Western stuff, like, yeah, sure, I agree. Like, <laughs> anytime you mention the sun setting, it's like, <laughs> but like <laughs> but also like it's just like you know like um oh everything's like in alignment that means they must be like doing something correctly and like th- there was if we roll all the way back to when they first showed up there was this conversation where they're like time was moving impossibly slow until the situation happened and then it started moving at regular speed <laughs> Yeah. And like yeah. the sunset is sort of like was it's sort of a driving home of the fact that like time is moving fast and like yeah. they're heading barreling forward towards Things their destination. Are aligning. Yeah, I think that that's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Right. Um so basically uh, is there anything else we we want to touch no, I on think, or I think we can cut to them waking up and what happens next so i'm gonna try and uh stay on on task with this because um they do jump back out of callahan's story and then back in again so rachel if i i don't even think you need to worry about like like perspective switching just like tell the story the stuff that there's like one detail that's worth mentioning in the like flash back and forth that we can just touch on it it's fine Okay. Uh, well, if I miss it, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll try and jump back to it. Um, no worries. So basically, uh, while the gang is uh, sleeping after their uh, three o'clock, you know, <laughs> dinner call <laughs> or whatever, um, you know, Callahan kind of comes back. Uh, Ros- Rosalita or whatever was like kind of excited to tell the gang that he was out doing his like errands and his errands were like, bringing stuff to people that were sick and like doing the, you know, uh, basically the church call for Mm -hmm. these folks, which, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, her pride like was kind of uh, interesting, like, because they don't really mention that she's religious per se, but like the effect that you get from it is like that she is on board with, uh, Callahan's religion and, um, she's proud of him for like, you know, everything he's accomplished from like showing up in town and just being like, a dude to like now having a church built and like followers and like the whole nine yards and then being tentative to his flock. So those are all like kind of interesting little tidbits, but like call in, like basically rolls back in, they cook a meal. Like this meal is impressive to the gang, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, uh, lots of comments about how good it is. You know, uh, there's a quote from Eddie that I'm is escaping me about the food and the meal. Um, but it's it's in similar vein to the like kindness that he felt from the the uh, beds being ready when they got there. Um, so after they eat, like Callahan basically like lays down the story and w- we cut to the future. And like um, basically we find out that his his friend from uh, home has had a pretty bad run in with something and has ended up in the hospital. And so Callahan basically heads over to the hospital to, you know, check on him to see, you know, say his words or, you know, whatever you do when your your friend or family member is in the hospital. And he gets in there and we, we first find out that, OK, this is already a little weird. The the room number is like um, what? What? Five, seven, seven. And I'm doing this out of order, Rachel. So I apologize. 
Um, but uh, it's five seven seven. Yeah, five seven seven. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And I think like what was the significance that adds up to um, adds up to nineteen? Yeah. Ding, yeah. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> um, so he gets into this room and like he he didn't realize that his friend was married or had a wife. And uh, there's this, you know, what he describes as like a fine looking lady um, with, uh, you know, uh, uh, low heels and like cropped hair sitting at his bedside. And when she turns around, he like jumps and starts and crosses himself. (laughs) And like, I imagine this like, oh, Jesus, you know, (laughs) right? Christ be the Lord, you know, or whatever. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And he jumps back and crosses himself. And this lady's like immediately picks up on it. She's sharp as a tack. She's like, oh, cross yourself. You must be the priest friend. He's he's always told me about, you know, and like comes at him like a little friendly and he she's like he always talks about the the people that he works with and their other life and stuff and you're like you must be the priest i saw you cross yourself there and he's like yeah and she moves her hand up to like um like you know like you're gonna get a handshake and and he like goes to meet it and before he even knows what hit him he's like jaw stinging flung around by this like hard ass impact of this girl just like slapping the crap out of him and what we find out is that she is actually his twin sister. And she starts like literally like basically berating him with like, you look at my face, look at my face. You know, this this is the last time you'll see his face because that's my face too. And you know what? They poked his liver out and they poked his heart out and they poked out his cheeks. And, you know, and like, and and then we get this scene of like this guy that's just like, completely bandaged and like laying in this bed for and some reason you just sounded like christopher walken right? <laughs> so, this guy you know? i can't do christopher walken but you totally sounded like him. <laughs> well I, th- I think that's a compliment it I is a compliment probably. it just it was just struck me funny i don't know I but it's it. it's such a it's such a bizarre moment because um his sister is basically goes through his history. Did you know he wrote a book? Did you know he graduated vola cum laude? And like, did, did you know like he could have, I'm probably saying that wrong. Oh, no, it's the remix. That's what it is from now on. <laughs> I, uh, this is like completely an aside, but someone was, um, someone we know is like, and I was like, I had a couple beers. They're like, um, they're a, a very fancy hairdresser for like celebrities and stuff. And uh, they're like, I'm, I'm going to uh, cosmetology school um, later in the year to g- get my degree. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> you know, I, I love start the study of stars. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it like stupid. And I'm like, oh, whoops, that's wrong. <laughs> no, There's a T it. in that one. Dang it. Dang it. <laughs> um, so any- anyway, like basically, uh. He's wrapped up in bed. She just berates the crap out of him, tells him about all these things that he could have accomplished, but instead he got sucked into this, um, you know, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous thing and like running home and that like none of his friends and buddies or whatever are visiting him. So like this is the only person. Polly, tell me it's the 80s without telling me it's the 80s. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and so she's like yells at him and she's like, you know what? You know, I'm going to I'm going to go down and get a cup of coffee and I don't expect to see you here when I get back. You know, you say whatever and you get out of here. 
and like that moment you're like holy shit you know this is crazy like man <laughs> she really had it over him and you're left thinking like no one has come to visit this man in the hospital and as soon as she leaves like you know mummy man over there is like well <laughs> she's a uh, she's kind of overselling me a little bit you know like i i won second in the you know nationals for poetry writing but uh you know uh um there wasn't much interest in the arts during that time because of the war and so i only competed against four people and got second place and you know um and she's given that speech like eight times which means you know basically eight other people have come to see this guy yeah and so like uh, despite her being like, now where's his friends? He doesn't even have any friends. No one cares about <laughs> You're him. You're slapping their faces when they walk in the door, ma'am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we know the problem. <laughs> and so it's like this kind of interesting juxtaposition where like she's really just like getting her anger out at each of these yeah. uh, people as they come through about right. like her frustrations with her brother and like. And, you know, like, it's fair. She has his book in his in her attic and, like, he might die. Like, his heart they were able to fix, but they poked a hole in his liver and that's probably not going to come true. Or, you know, he's not going to be able to make it through that. And there's this actually this moment where Culhan's, like, listening to the machines and he doesn't know how he knows, but he knows that, like, something is about to, to go wrong. And okay. there's this sort of um, diatribe where he's he's just talking about like a plane cockpit and all the noises and stuff that, that you as a pilot would hear to be aware of like what's going on with the plane. And he's like, you know, <laughs> there must be a lot of like takeoffs and landings in this hospital room because like it's three times what a, you know, what a plane cockpit has. And mm-hmm. that's like, a, I don't know if it means that Callahan has the touch or, or what, but it it was just an interesting moment where i was like well okay stephen king usually doesn't give us hints about like someone seeing the world for what it is um beyond the veil without you know um, them having some power but then we cut back to callahan actually talking to this gentleman and it turns out that like he he would have probably ratted callahan out if he even knew where he was but he had no freaking clue and so he w- had no choice but to endure this like horrible torture that was put on by the low men and and some other folks and the and Hitler you know brothers. the Hitler brothers and there's also like a moment too where uh she she mentions that um his only other friend died of the uh um queer disease yeah the queer disease <laughs> I don't not know how great. I feel about that one. Not, I mean, it's the '80s, so it feels yeah. And I accurate. think your your moment when you said, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, you're right." Yeah, that's definitely uh, '80s. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and so we we he gives him this warning. He's like, "Listen, man, stay the hell away from home," and and it, that's such a a poignant but really weird statement. Yeah. And then I mean, we, to say to the man who's been spent the last however many years just wandering like lost in like a metaphorical desert, stay away from home is it's poignant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then um, so basically, uh, you know, um, he gets this warning about going home like that's pretty ominous. And, uh, you know, 
And so what does he do? Like he leaves the hospital. Yeah. Let's pause for one second and then we'll cl- we'll close out with yeah, that yeah, third yeah, absolutely. section. There's a couple things I want to talk about in this section. Um, the first of all, I mean, I think the one of the things we talk about a lot about is, is the coincidences, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we get one here that's really interesting. Like Eddie's very obsessed with like everything adding up to 19 and Callahan's just kind of like, okay, whatever. But there is this moment of synchronicity that happens when he walks in the room and he sees that, you know, the person there is um, Rowan's twin, Rowena, which of course is like uh, an echo of what's happening here in the present town in, in Kala, where one of the twins is taken. And you see this sort of like impotent rage that she has. And it does kind of mirror like the unfair sacrifice and the ruination of one twin. Oh, dang. Um, you know, I, as a, the normally the person who was like, hey, did you think about this? Like, I yes, totally missed that I, one. I beat you on a conspiracy. Yes. Good job. It. That was really good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had to put the twin thing together and then Roland and Rowena. Yep. I mean, okay. it's like T and T, like how all Azalea and Zian and like all of their names are just like female male flip of the same name. The same yep. thing is happening with Roland and Rowena, which I think is, is interesting. Um, let's see. The, that might be all I have for this. Uh, we can go ahead and move forward. No, no, I there's think. one more uh, mention here. Um, when he decides to leave the hospital, he also is like, I'm going to, get on the 40 bus yeah and like i've never heard of the 40 bus but like thankfully Stephen king explains it he's like you know it's whatever bus goes the furthest you can for like whatever you got available he's like Mm -hmm. if i were going to like you know whatever burbank alaska or something like that 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 would be the 40 bus and it's like basically and what is he has a weird term for greyhound He's like the gray dog. Ride the gray dog. <laughs> it sounds very appealing, doesn't it? <laughs> As a, a former uh, longtime Greyhound writer, like you would actually like I that when that term came up, I'm like, I think I've probably heard some like the, old, I've heard the dirty dog. Yeah, dirty dog, the old dog, maybe the gray dog, but like definitely heard some like smoking sixty-five year olds just like with a gravelly voice being like I, Guess it's time to ride the dirty dog again. <laughs> yeah. But basically, we, we like cut back to Eddie. Um, there's a quote I can't remember in there, so I'll just fly past it. Um, but Callahan, as he's describing like leaving the hospital and like telling him about uh, the 40 bus and all that business, he describes his like walk. And, you know, um, as he's walking, like uh, he kind of like describes where the bus stop is. And Jake is like, you know, is that next to Choo Choo Mamas? And like, he's like, what? Wait, what? Well, he goes and gets a burger. And they're oh, like, yeah, yeah, was yeah. it at Choo Choo Mamas? And he's like, Mur, yeah. What? And like, <laughs> and then they all stop and they're like, this is weird. And like, there's a bunch of 19 references and like, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. better take the 19 bus or whatever. It's just, it, it like, it's Stephen King like um, having everybody basically politely murmur 19 <laughs> in a group yeah. with like their own little <laughs> jokes and like in, in bits. And and then we get this thing where like he's like walking down the street. He decides, you know, um, fine, he's gonna walk that direction. And while he's like sort of um, describing that, he's also describing like his attachment to home and like uh, how Rowan um, and him like had this like this together time. And Rowan, like we find out, he's like, I mean, we kind of knew him a bit, but in this moment, the description of him is like a man who has such a strong enough aura 
aura mm-hmm. that like he can single-handedly keep what would otherwise be a place that just like devolved into nothing or like disappeared afloat and like his strength and conviction brings in other people to support him and brings in like you know donors and all that sort of stuff so this mm-hmm. guy like losing him is actually a pretty yeah big deal and there's like this heartfelt moment where like they're like we had some fun times like the time we performed this skit <laughs> and we had some not so fun times but also funny times like the time uh you know what's his name cut his throat or cut this other guy's throat for like telling me picks his nose too much and like uh you know rowan comes out of the bathroom with like a roll of toilet paper <laughs> and his pants around his ankles and like you know, puts out the like you know puts the roll of toilet paper into this guy's neck to keep him from bleeding to death, yeah. and like they have a laugh about it, which is just yeah. like a, a bizarre but also like interesting moment. And you yeah. realize that like both of these guys are like so toughened and hard that like they can still laugh during such a serious and like crazy time and still be in charge of a moment and like get the police there and the ambulance and the medical services and whatever. And and so that connection like sort of underscores how much home still means to Callahan and like is sort of used as like a device to explain why he's like, well, I'm not going to go right there, but like I might go like within spitting distance to kind of like, see my old stomping grounds and, you know, like mm-hmm. kind of get that feeling. And while he's describing it's interesting because oh, he doesn't know, like he, he, he remembers so much of that day, but he doesn't remember his state of mind. What made him change his mind to go do these things mm-hmm. after he was like, I'm just going to get on the bus and get the hell out of here. And it's like a question of, is this him like kind of self-sabotaging and putting himself, you know, like essentially suicide by, you know, uh, lack of decision or something like passive suicide, or is it um, the pull of fate and caw? It's unclear. Again, unclear. Yeah, and um, there's a moment too where, like, as he's describing the direction that he's going, um, I don't remember if it's Eddie or Jake, but they're like, "Why didn't you take Forty Second Street instead of whatever street?" And, um, <laughs> those numbers might not be correct either. I don't remember what the street numbers are. Sorry. For people from New York, I'm not very familiar with the street numbers per se. Um, canceled. You're canceled. Yeah, yeah but but the, he's like, you know, I don't know. And like immediately they're like the rose. <laughs> and he's like, what? He's like, you know, like you can't help help it. It's like um, uh, th- there was a good metaphor in there that I've already lost that I almost had for a second about like, you know, stuff that attracts moths to, to light or something like that. I don't mm-hmm. remember. Um, but like the power of the rose is so strong that they're like, they're like, Oh, maybe that's why you walk that direction. And again, we get a little brief glimpse into, uh, Callahan's possible, like psychic business, like his, his radar sort of like clicks off and he's like immediately like sort of spooked and decides to just immediately turn around. And he turns around so fast that these two guys that we didn't know about for a minute and now we do that are following him don't know what to do because like he's abruptly changed direction so fast that he's like about to walk through him and if all of them hadn't startled each other in that moment he probably would have been able to like run through them into safety mm-hmm. <laughs> but like they all just like he misses his chance yeah they freeze 
And like that moment is like, okay, well, who unfreezes first? Well, uh, apparently these brothers do. Um, we come to find out that these guys are the notorious uh, Hitler brothers. They're popular in Queens. I don't even know what that means. I don't know I'm what that means. If people, either, if people I... know New York, maybe that means something. I don't know what that means. Yeah. I know that I was stuck in an airport in Queens overnight and I did not like it. It was not popular with me, but that is the extent of my Queens knowledge that, have... and coming to America. That's it. I don't have any problem with Queens um, in present day. I've never been yeah. there in in years past when it was like uh, apparently bad. But um, it, it, there's a moment here where like, uh, you know, and the, the Queen's statement is sort of off kilter, but fun. Um, he's like, he's like, uh, you know, we could kill a thousand people and like, but we're popular in Queens. And it's like, well, that's a very odd <laughs> transitional statement that makes mm -hmm. no sense and is sort of farcical in your like murderous rage but moving back so um so these guys make the first move they're faster than call in basically the one dude and I, I he nicknames them i'm not sure like i followed how the nicknames came about but like he's calling them george and lenny which are the characters from in the mice of oh, uh, mice and men okay okay that's i I knew it meant something. I just didn't. I wasn't following what what he was going for here. Yeah. Um. Uh, He's talking about the disparity in their sizes, essentially. Yeah, one's small yeah. and one's tall. And then, yeah. like, he realizes that it's the opposite. The small one is in charge, and the tall one is not. Um, mm -hmm. Right. And um. Um. So, <laughs> the tall one like swings in and grabs his nuts, and just like starts like yanking on him. And like the the pain is described is is so painful that like he nearly like vomits and then he does eventually vomit and like they like kind of like play it off because they got this guy by his nuts and they're like kind of carrying him around and uh people are walking by with their girlfriends and like if if he hadn't been in so much pain and just vomited like he would could yell for help and they may have may have been able to save him <laughs> but uh -huh. they're like so grossed out and like these two characters like play into it. They're like, ah, add a little too much to drink. Eh? <laughs> hey, yeah. And like the shorter guy is like, you nimbusle. Like, what are you doing? Like, don't play with his balls until we can get him home, which is like a, a fun, weird, odd. I, I mean, mean uh, I don't know. Yeah. Fun is the right term, but it's like, it's interesting. There is like a weird like sex and violence vibe to this whole thing that we get into. Yeah, with. yeah. Uh, uh, violence boners, the, literally. The <laughs> dynamic is is super strange too because um there's a there's a moment so like he yanks his balls, they like beat him around like kind of or like you got that kind of mouth on you for a priest like holy crap man you know oh get it holy crap <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did a funny um no but uh it's uh it's interesting because um when the hitler brothers are apparently known for carving like swastikas into people's heads and like the less uh sharp brothers like pretty please brother pretty please can i do it can i do it he's like no you can't do it till they're dead because you're bad at carving these <laughs> like stop it you're not allowed to do this and like there's a moment where it's like like an indulgent father like he you know f fell prey to this like constant whining of their like younger child and like decided to like let him do it but as he's begging he's like i'll do that thing that you like and it's like mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. i feel like we're hinting at some things here. yeah and it's yes. like uh you guys got some weird incest thing going on on top of your like i mean if they're actually really brothers do we think they're really brothers i don't know i don't I know 
Yeah, um, there's no like real definition here. And I've bounced around a little bit. Rachel, did you want to pop in and like? There was a couple of things I thought were interesting, um, particularly uh, when he is outside before the Hitler brothers grab him. Um, it oh, I guess there's okay, yeah, okay. So before they grab him, there is like a small detail where they describe that the fence uh, around presumably there he's next to the lot right yes, yes and the fence is now like 10 to 12 feet high um which is definitely a different fence that we saw when we have been here previously and it reminded me that we are later in the timeline so that i feel like is interesting that a that it's still there it's more carefully protected and it still exists so presumably that bodes well for whatever it is that roland and the gang have to do to protect the rose right because well, this would have come chronologically after whatever was happening with um uh what are their names um aaron deepno and oh yeah, yeah calvin right. tower right yep. like whatever was happening with them and in, in with the the being strong-armed by um andalini's men presumably it works out if the rose is still present and it's and it's even more protected than it was before so that was just an interesting kind of note it's very quickly breezed by but I well, got the, it. There's also another thing that goes along with that that um, is very important too, and I was gonna double back around to it, but like part of his escape was like, if only I could jump over that fence, those guys would never follow me there. And he doesn't know why he knows right. they would never follow him there. He's just like, that's the place that they couldn't handle or they wouldn't want to go yeah. or like whatever. Because it's the rose, and it's the rose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just a fun kind of. There is one other fun little detail, which is the place that they drag him into is a laundromat, essentially. I think, and it's called the Turtle Bay uh, Laundria. I think, which is just a, a reference to the turtle. Just a little. I noticed, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's it. Um, <laughs> although I guess I wonder if that what. The, if they're because we know Turtle Bay was the name. I'm sorry, I'm like figuring. This oh out no, no, I missed so, the fact that it was a laundromat. I knew that they were like near Turtle Bay, and I well, yeah, assumed that was like the rose like reference. The fabric, so yeah, but I mean, Turtle Bay Condominiums was the name of the company or the buildings that was going to be built on that lot. So it's I'm wondering if there is some connection to this building that it is also called the Turtle Bay Laundria or. Uh, this yeah, <laughs> this is a secret Stephen King reference to everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. Sorry, Kent. <laughs> oh yeah, I love that movie. By the way, the movie. So oh yeah, good. that movie's great. I I I've probably watched it five times just to like. Oh catch my everything. god. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> I love that movie. I, apparently, um, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis took home the butt plug. <laughs> she has the butt plug. Yeah. That's perfect. All right, I don't have any problem with that at all. At all. Okay. Sorry, but go ahead. Carry on. <laughs> um. So we we washeria about... oh, the Turtle Bay washeria. The sorry, turtle I knew washeria. it wasn't laundria, but I knew it was close. <laughs> washeria. That's a real clean, clean place there. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, sorry. Continue. Um. So basically, we've talked about the the relationship between these two bro uh, possibly brothers. And that moment where he like he's like, but we're big in queens, and like him making fun of the, the priest. But it, it's these guys like they also um are like weirdly American, like like almost like this felt like too close to modern times with like some of the little tidbits like the bigger brother is like making an, a weird song that he's gonna send to um oh to yes. what jimmy haggard or something 
Yeah, Merle Haggard. Merle, Merle Haggard, yeah. and he's like, because he's the only one that told those hippies to like go eat shit or whatever, and it's like, okay. And like, as you're going through this, like that felt a little too close to like, you know. I mean, anyway, um, I mean that sort of like particular brain, ba- like brand, brand of patriotism, and like, you know. Yeah, and this is not a political show, so I'm gonna move on. <laughs> yeah, but. but I mean, the thing is, is it's it, that is historically correct that though, like, there's a particular brand of patriotism and like, and this kind of racist garbage that like they eh, go together and they, yeah, they link. Yeah, it's, and it's, so the reason I bring that up is because this turns into like almost a uh, you know hardworking Americans will take any job if they need to, you know, like it, he's Callahan basically is like, hey guys. <laughs> Are, are the low men the ones who put you up to this did, did they have red eyes did they drive like fancy cars he starts describing them and they're like shut up mm-hmm. and he's like uh you know we do our own thing but sometimes you know like every american we we will we will work for money you know like we're not gonna turn a job down <laughs> and like that's the moment where you're like wait what and then like but they they both like get quiet for a moment when he asks this, but don't actually respond directly to that question and then there's a later moment and i'm gonna skip around just a second because this is i don't want to spoil what's coming next yet but there's a later moment where they're trying to decide what to do and they're like this job was hired by some like you know real bad people (laughs) like yeah we don't want to not do this job we need to make sure and do this job and so that moment like basically underlines three times the the previous bit about like you know like we take work when it comes to us that they were actually in fact hired by said people and as they're they're starting to like carve up um poor mr callahan here um the you know the brother messes up he's like damn it you drew a cross on him (laughs) and like as he says that Colin has this like weird flashback to the moment the vampire like broke his religion and broke his cross in front of him and like that snap. And then like, is like, maybe I'll die. Maybe I'll live. I don't know. And like that moment you, when he gets a cross drawn on him again, it is almost like this religious moment where like the purge God came back to him or, you know, his religion came back to him or his faith came back to him, whatever that is. Like that's like a very specific pivotal moment. And then, mm-hmm. like, suddenly it smells like garlic. <laughs> and, yeah. And you're like, wait, what? Like, what is this amateur hour at the vampire hunting club? Yeah, I mean, I think, he, yeah, I think that is, like, a little bit of an Easter egg. It's been, like, he's talking about his, like, Italian food breath. But, like, I don't think it's a coincidence that it's garlic. Uh, yeah, I, I, this is an interesting thing. This, this whole scene, like, they're interesting villains. They're like very goofy and almost slapsticky and not very scary, but also horrifying. And, yeah, like, like real bad. you know, based on a really horrifying movement that it still exists today, like those kinds of things. But uh, there's one little detail in it that really creeped me out, not because of what he said, but the context of it. And it's the part where, like, the little dude is like begging to carve the cross into Callahan's head. And the big guy is like, you know, he says, you know, I pulled this quote. It says Callahan had heard this tone before the indulgent father who can't deny a favorite, if mentally challenged child. Well, okay. 
Like that's so like if, imagine that for a second that what he's begging to do is to carve a swastika in a man's forehead and he's like talking to him like indulgently like he's a child. Oh, it's just so I don't know. I found that to be very chilling considering the context. I mean, that's like right out of several different horror movies. So <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It, it was effective to me. The other thing is like the carving of the cross feels like very meaningful for obvious reasons that like he it's a cross and he was a priest and all those kinds of things. But I was also thinking about how like following the failed battle with um, with Barlow, he completely had his identity stripped away like uh, more so he like basically shed that identity, even though he had the cross burned into his hand, he rejected it essentially and felt rejected by it and this moment where he has the cross again literally he's like branded with it again it's this meaningful moment and symbol that marks the next chapter in his life um and and it kind of forces him to like reclaim this mantle of a religious leader albeit this time over in the kala you know and it it's it speaks to this idea of call and like fate and like you are not, you don't get to choose to defrock call decides. And if it will, it will write it on your forehead if needs be. Yeah. And there's a moment to like, so I mentioned they like roughed him up a bit, but they hit him so hard that like later he'll find out that his jaw was broken in like four mm-hmm. places. Um, mm-hmm. We cut back to Roland and like Roland's like looking Callahan up and down and he's like, yep, you're not symmetrical. <laughs> <laughs> which is like you know I, I don't know that anybody's really truly symmetrical but i thought it was funny that like being jaw broke apparently makes you even less symmetrical than a regular human being who may or may not be like perfectly symmetrical um and then there's a uh, there's another moment too where like as he's describing this garlic moment like his rescuers jake is like hey man hey and he plucks like the idea out of Roland's head. This is something like Rachel and I were discussing before the show that um, it, it's Roland kind of laughs. And I thought it was laugh because like that wasn't the thing that Roland was thinking about. But Rachel was like, no, no, no. He laughs because like, holy crap, like that kid's so good. He just like plucked this out of my mind without like. Yeah, he's like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a whoa moment as opposed to like, a, oh, that kid got the wrong thing. Whoo. Mm-hmm. I'm safe mm-hmm. now. Um, but like ask like were we the saviors because this basically leans in on what Rachel was saying earlier about the time time frame like well we don't know what we're doing in the future and this is obviously the future but also the past like were we there <laughs> you know like yeah and you're getting, I mean, it's like, not the, like, unreasonable right you're getting the back back to the future paradox thing going on where like you know uncle brother dad mom whatever I don't know. <laughs> That's, I think I said that wrong, but it doesn't matter. Um, the point is, is like the current them could have possibly been the future savior of them. And he's like, oh, no, 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 that's the, it wasn't you guys. And and we cut back from this like momentary break of just like them, like listening to the story to head back into it. And like kind of the least likely heroes, I guess, would be my description of these guys sort of show up to to save this guy they've got guns which you know um is enough to to pause the action and they don't seem like they're very sure of themselves they obviously reek of garlic um which mm-hmm. you know means that they are 
quite sure, you know, that they could possibly run into vampires, and they've got an an mm. ultra bright. Maybe not. So, I don't know. So um, actually, the garlic breath is the ba- is the one of the guys that are one of like one of the two bad guys. The garlic breath is not the new guy. Oh, is it? Okay, I mm-hmm. misunderstood that. I assumed yep. that like they were prepared for vampires with like the garlic breath mention. So did one of the guys breathe on him as they're about to like? I think they were like in his face because he was getting ready to carve in his face and he like could smell his garlic breath. And then the other guy smelled like sweat and fear, maybe. Okay. I was assumed that was, I kind of like for some reason in my head, I took that as the description of his saviors. No, um, no, no. The only thing we know about the saviors is they speak Yiddish. Uh, one of them is Chonge. Is Hemingway, yeah. Yeah. And he has a signet ring that says Ex Libris. See, I missed the ring. I just thought Ooh, he the was the ring re- is the clue. But I thought he was just referring to him as ex libris the whole time. Like I didn't understand. Like for whatever reason, I missed the ring. But I'm like, where did ex libris come from? Why does he keep referring to him as ex libris? So it's th- a it's a ring. It's a signet ring. Okay, and uh, um, I don't know what a signet ring is. Sorry, part. It's like a ring that it like has a symbol on it. Have a segul on it. It has a segul on it. Yes. <laughs> So is this like a class ring type of thing, or is this like one of those um, big bulky? It could be bulky... any kind of yeah. It could be any kind of ring. I think a class ring would probably fall under the category of a signet ring. Well, I, I maybe I'm wrong, but I know that there was like a specific type of ring that you used to like press a letter shut. That was important back in the day. Oh, I mean, those um, are you know, probably, like you yeah. did the wax drop, and then like only the king or only like. Get it? Stephen okay, King. so a signet ring. Okay, I googled it because I want to make sure I wasn't talking out of my ass, which does happen from time to time. It was worn on the pinky finger and used by gentlemen, particularly gentlemen involved with business or politics, as a seal yes. to sign important documents. Okay, so I was Bam. I was correct in the seal part, and you yes, were correct in you the were. ring. I didn't know about the pinky part though. Um, I I just like I was I remember there was a type of ring that was used, and like I thought this is maybe Stephen King like being a joker. In this, like, you know, King's Ring <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to, like, seal the deal, you know? like Oh, I see world. what you're saying. Um, uh, I don't know. That that one's, like, pure speculation. But but basically, these guys, like, obviously have, have not seen a ton of action. Like, the one guy is, like, freeze. And the other guy's, like, no, wait, wait. Uh, take your shoes and pants off. <laughs> and, like... <laughs> And like, and they're like, wait, are you guys police? Because, you know, you got to read us our rights or whatever. You can't do this. <laughs> like, they're like, shut up. I'm going to count to however. And the guy's like, doesn't even count slow. He's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And they're like, oh, shit. No, 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 no. We're doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> but like, this is the moment. And I mentioned this earlier where like, they're like, oh, fuck. We're, um, we're into like work with some like really uh, heavy people here. Like we. We probably can't cross them, and like they kind of like look at each other, and they're like, "Oh fuck, we got, we got to get out of here!" And so they run like pantsless away, you know, no shoes, no pants, and like that's a w- weird situation to to get thrown into. And then um, uh, these guys come up, and they're like, you know, they they're like shining this bright light on them, and like they for some reason realize that he's a priest, and like. Or like, you know, um, I guess uh, there's a moment where he says um, it's something like uh, that if you were Chinese, you would believe that like now um, I am indebted to you or like I I own you or something like that because I've saved your life. Um, He's like, uh, we'll call an ambulance. You know, um, we don't want you to know who I am. 
or who we are. And it's, it, I'm unsure of like if we're going to get a reveal on these guys or not. But it's also I like, mean, I'm pretty sure I know who they are. I know. <laughs> OK, <laughs> OK. I didn't know if you knew. Yeah, yeah. I, I, was I don't to... I don't know. Like, as far as I don't remember, I have. But I, I, I feel like I know, like the clue is the ring. Right. So, like, I feel like I know who it is. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> damn <Okay>. it, Rachel. <laughs> I was I was trying to like foreshadow a little bit, but uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm oh. sorry. I, I, do you want me to lead it? I can do No, no, no. You can leave it in. It's fine. Um, so, so these guys, like they, they rescue him. Um, so these rescuers, like basically like stay sort of, um, sort of in the light actually, which, you know, and they realize that, uh, Colin's like a, a minister. So that's sort of, um, a double entendre there. Um, he's gotten this cross instead of a swastika carved into his head. He, um, almost feels that moment, uh, of, uh, Barlow breaking his cross reversed. And these guys are like heavenly lighting him. And then there's a, a, a moment where what's the Yiddish term he uses. It's like, um, um, uh, I don't, I don't remember what it is, but I it, will find it because I remember. But it's super funny. And like, he's like, and then I talked to a bunch of Jewish people. <laughs> he's like, and then finally, someone said it's like shit in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Guy Cockniff in, in Yom. Which Guy Cockniff in Yom. Uh, which translates means to go shit in the ocean. <laughs> yes. I need to like, I need to write that one down and like get it tattooed somewhere because it's kind of a fun one. Nice. Hey, oh, it's no. better than the cheese whiz necklace. So yes. <laughs> I mean, it'd be fun to be like, yeah, I got a dark tower tattoo, and you like bring up the most obscure that would be bullshit ever. Amazing. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Your uh, it says tattoo. shit the ocean. That's how I feel about Stephen King. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love it. But, but yeah, so that's a a, a moment, and then like as Callahan's like basically laying on the ground, um, you know, bleeding, uh, broken jaw, like not sure if he'll live or die, uh, doesn't know what's gonna happen. Um, these guys like basically run off after they've called uh, a medical people, and then there's one last quote that we're left with, Rachel, and um, you look this up for me. Yes. Okay. So he is laying there wondering what's going to happen. Will these, the two guys come back or will it be an ambulance? And he says, um, let's see here. He lies there and waits for the ambulance and life or the return of the Hitler brothers and death for the lady or the tiger for Diana's treasure or the deadly bitter snake for some interminable, unaccountable time, red pulses of light wash across the dusty floor. And he knows that this time it is the lady. This time it is the treasure. This time it is life. So I didn't look up Diana's treasure or the bitter snake, but I'm guessing based on Lady and the Tiger, what this is referring to um, is this like idea of life and death. There, The Lady and the Tiger is a short story written by Frank R. Stockton okay. from 1882. And in it, there is this barbaric king who he has some good ideas, but mostly he likes it when people suffer. And one of his things is he likes to do a trial by ordeal um, and like offer the people poetic justice. And in front of them, he offers them two doors behind one door is the per is like basically the, the lady who is perfect for them. Like he's found their ideal mate and behind the other door is a hungry tiger. And then they have to choose which door to open. And some of them get the lady, like fate decides if it will be the lady or if it's certain death. 
And so like this is basically a metaphor to this, but it goes back to this thing that King does where he's like constantly pulling literary um, references. uh, References. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of that in this theme. And I think it's interesting kind of on the tail end of whatever's happening with this ex Libris signet ring um, that he's making these, these illusions. So uh, the reason I, I asked about this quote is because the, the two um, rescuers that showed up um, besides their signet ring, like he like kind of co- uh, quotes some like Chinese proverb stuff at him. And when I heard the tiger and the lady, I had, uh, erroneously assumed that it was maybe like, um, I don't know, a, a Chinese proverb as well that was associated with it. I didn't realize that that was like just a, a, a more modern book from somewhere um, or or story or whatever. So that that was why I was asking about it. Like I thought maybe like the snake and some of those other ones they sort of sounded like um what's the uh the year you're born in like the the year of the rat or the year of the chicken. Yeah. Like, you're the Chinese zodiac. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I was I thought it was that, but like now that you've broken it down I'm like dang it, I was completely off. Really... I'm googling Diana, Diana's treasure or the deadly biter snake, and I'm not finding anything. And so I wonder if this is a kingism, like he's kind of taken this idea and then made up his own version. I don't know, listeners. Do you guys know what Diana or the biter snake is? I mean, it could be like some sort of like Roman tale, because like, isn't Diana a god? Or, or like, is Diana maybe a reference to um uh, the the Arthur's court? And like, was that the lady that? Mm, no, no, Diana. Diana is like a, a, I think a Roman mythological character. Maybe I mean, Blake? I know the Beatles sang a song maybe about Blake. her, like Lady Diana, something in the streets, right? That's that's the thing. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> he has stumped me. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so I think I, I, that could be that he's making up. It almost feels like a parable or some sort of like you know, fable or something um, that he, and I don't know if he's referencing a real one or if this is one that King is just throwing in there and using the, the tiger or the lady as context. Hmm. But yeah. I, yeah. I'm trying to think. You got uh, four stars here and I kind of, sorry, I meandered around a bit, but I, this, there were so many little bits and bops in here that I liked and I wanted to like make sure and cover. So you know, to be honest, I feel like we kind of squeezed in a lot of the things I wanted to say throughout. So I don't really have a lot to, more to say about this section, um, but I would like to know what you thought of it. What did you think of um, the first I, half of this you chapter? Know, I'm as an action person, I uh, uh-huh, uh-huh, I, I approve. Uh-huh. Like this has some um, uh, a throwback to a previous episode, some like, uh, you know, um, soap opera esque uh, um, general hospital action going on mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. some like good like um attack and fight sequences that are like mostly like bad guys but like occasionally like some good guys we <laughs> I-, I did not know about the metaphor until rachel ex- exposed <laughs> the mossy grass exposed. to me i did not expose mossy grass to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and so so you know like uh, the first part got a little weirder than i thought it was but the, everything else is like quite good <laughs> rachel what did you think yeah i think that there were definitely some some things in here i enjoyed i think i'm just not as invested in callahan so i'm not as like oh when i'm reading his chapters but i do think that there is i'm very interested in the low men and um and i do feel like this is a, an important sort of pivotal thing i'm curious to see what happens next i think i'm going to be much more interested in however it is he actually got to um midworld but um yeah i liked it i liked it 
I'm ready to I'm ready to wrap up the Callahan bit of it. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So uh, connections. I I didn't really catch any connection specifically and there isn't really any major Stephen King news that is Dark Tower related. We're all just waiting with bated breath to hear any updates about what's happening with the Dark Tower. Um, nothing that I've seen so far. Um, listener feedback. I did not manage to get a Facebook group question up last week, but I do have one for the next episode. Yes, that's okay. It's okay. The next one will be good. So it kind of plays off the last question we had, which I wanted to know from everybody. What did you want in the Mike Flanagan, um, uh, an adaptation that you would make it feel successful and we had a lot of amazing answers if you listen to the last episode you already know like so many cool ideas um we all had i mean like i think there was a lot of agreement but everybody kind of had something different that they really wanted to see happen which just speaks to the amazing diversity of things that are in these books so here's my question it's the opposite of this what is the thing you want mike flanagan to change in this adaptation not what is the thing you want to see him bring to what do you want to see him excise is there a scene or a character beat or a plot line like is there a whole ass character you want to see cut whatever the case may be what is something you think could be improved if it were changed from the source material that you really hope that flanagan as a super fan would also agree needs to be changed all right. If any of you have listened to the extended episode, you've heard my rant before. So <laughs> mine's <laughs> we'll get ready to have it again. <laughs> so everybody, if you're in the Facebook group, I will place it there as well, and you can answer in the thread. If you are not in the Facebook group, though, you can always email us at castofcaw at zombiegirls. That's g r r l z dot com, um, and I'll be happy to read that on the show on the next episode. Okay. Speaking of the next episode, plan for the next episode. We are going to be covering. Wolves of the Call of Part 2, Telling Tales, Chapter 9, The Priest Tales Continued, Unfound, Sections 11 through 20. Um, And like I said, we'd love to hear from you if you have some thoughts on that. Maybe we missed something. Whatever the case may be, you can always drop us a line at, at castofcall at zombiegirls.com or chat with us over on the Cast of Call Facebook group. If you're enjoying the show, do us a huge solid and leave us a review or rate us wherever it is that you're getting your pods, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, Audible. We're all over the place. Um, if you are a horror fan and looking for something spooky to watch tonight, you can take a look over on the Zombie Girls website. Check out our video on demand and streaming calendar. We keep track of all the spooky doings that are happening across all the many, 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 many streaming services. Uh, if you want to support us, there's a couple of ways you can do that. There is the merch. We have some awesome cast of call merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. We also, if you listen to other shows on the network, we just got a brand new more deadly design, which is awesome. Actually, my shirt came today. I'm wearing it right now. I feel like such a narcissist (laughs) with my face on my chest, but here we are. (laughs) So you can find that there. You can also support us by joining Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombiegirls. We get extended episodes, bonus episodes. Um, We're doing zombie bites, which are like short form reviews of things that come out like for instance the next one i'm doing is um gonna be on sundance and all of the things i watched at sundance uh i'll be talking about spoiler free obviously because they haven't been released yet um and you can enjoy those if you are a patron uh for instance today tj we're gonna be talking about hamburgers are you ready to talk about hamburgers i mean are they made of bisons because i'm i'm into bison burgers 
I mean, I think you can, you get to choose your protein, whichever protein you would like to imagine when we're having this conversation, be it bison, be it beef, be it ostrich, be it kangaroo. I mean, I think the real question here without getting into the extra bit is, um, jelly or no jelly. Well, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, you guys won't know <laughs> unless you listen to the extended episode. Ah! <laughs> All right. So that is it for us, DJ. Where else can they find you on the internet if they need more DJ in their lives? Listen, if you hop over to Outpost Unknown, which I finally got the name right of, um, you can hey! you can totally see me on an occasional episode of To Be Fair, which is just reviews of weird, crazy stuff that ended up on Tubi. Um, if you're not familiar with Tubi, go check it out because it's just got it's got a bizarre, infinite cast of strange, weird, garbage, good everything movies all across the world. Um, and occasionally on the Steve cast, which is um, gained some popularity by accidentally like tagging on to some other guy's <laughs> podcast. That's also called. I the don't Steve think cast. that's true. Come on. There's too many Steve's. Not enough. There, we are the real Steve Cast. We're the original Steve Cast. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. Listen, uh, Rachel, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on the Steve Cast. <laughs> 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 but you can also find me on all the shows across the, the Zombie Girls Podcast Network, the original Zombie Girls, Stream Queens, Cast of Caw, Untitled Nick Cage Show, which is back finally coming back. Um, we've recorded it. I think it'll be out this week. Um and uh more deadly this week we just put out our interview with roxanne benjamin the director of there's something wrong with the children we had a really great conversation i highly recommend checking that out uh, i also occasionally show up on other people's shows for instance these have not come out yet but this week i'm going to be recording so uh, add these subscribe get ready to listen to these when they drop i will be on bloody good whore this week talking about uh, sick and then this weekend I will be recording with Straight Chillin I don't know how they announced their podcast I won't say what we're going to be covering but Straight Chillin is another really great horror show uh, podcast so you should definitely check them out and I will be joining them very soon which I'm very excited to talk about a very interesting movie which I watched last night and I cannot stop thinking about because my eyes have seen things that i cannot believe they have seen dj you would not like this movie <laughs> um i liked it quite a bit but i am a sick individual so anyway those are my plugs um that's it for us unless you're sticking around for the extended episode dj why don't you go ahead and take us out okay so this is a weird one today guys um i uh <laughs> i mean weirder than normal i think for me at least uh i uh i got lost the other day um i didn't realize how many films that a24 was involved in and I was like trying to think of the the young DJ equivalent of A24. Oh, no. And I went down the focus features rabbit oh. hole. And like I I was like, oh yeah, focus features. They were like A21, because they made like, you know, I don't know, being John Malkovich and like Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind. And Where then like going? <laughs> uh, Yeah, and then like I opened the deep harvest of focus features and like just rolled into like a bunch of fucking garbage. <laughs> And so, um, not all of it is garbage, but, like, way more than I thought there would be. And so, uh, I guess what I'm saying here is, like, as we grow older, just remember that everything you love will disappoint you someday, and it will fall into disrepair, and uh, eventually Stephen King will renew it and turn it into a book. Good night. (laughs) 
I thought for sure we were leading into a dad joke. I was like, what? Like something about losing your focus or something. It's coming. It's coming. No, no, no. I, I did not break that lens. Oh, God. God. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. And to my co-host, DJ, for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies. Production on this episode was done by yours truly. Our theme song for the show was created by DJ. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode where we're going to be talking about something a little weird. It is a combination of two things. It actually has a plot point from this episode, and also I'm hungry. So (laughs) what I decided is I wanted to talk to you, DJ, about weird burger toppings. And I found a list of weird burger toppings that we can go through. And what I want you to do is give me your feedback on the topping. And then we're going to rank them as we go from like, we'll say, do you want to do most likely to eat or weirdest? Well, hold on. Before we even dive into burgers, let me start by saying that, uh, um, (laughs) as as you well know, and like my friends point out regularly, oh, you're from Nebraska? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yes, I am from Nebraska. Um, uh, So one of the things there that is common on a burger that you do not find in many other areas is called uh, the sunrise burger or occasionally referred to as maybe the breakfast burger. Um, this is God, I'm so hungry. Okay. <laughs> this is a, um, either a, uh, you know, steamed or poached egg or a regular fried egg with the yolk still like thick inside so that when you squeeze and take that first bite, it just dribbles with yolk and it is a delicious mash that is um, quite worthy of eating if you've never had a burger in this manner. Um, if, if if you're not a fran- uh, fan of eggs and toast, then this may not be for you. But if you've never tried it, worth a shot. The other thing I want to point out is that sometimes what's in the burger is not as important as what the burger is being surrounded by. So okay. there is a this place is deep. I like this. I here like in this. Portland um that they make quite tasty smash burgers but they're actually known for making the most um exotic buns to go on your burger and uh these buns include basically like a three-layered grilled cheese sandwich as your top bun and you know some other extravagant grilled cheese sandwich with ham or beef or whatever as your bottom bun so you're effectively squashing your burger your smash burger in between two other sandwiches of lesser importance than the middle importance of the sandwich that you are actually eating um, to the point where they even have uh, exotic toppings like a peanut butter and um, it's a savory peanut butter. So it's like a spicy, um, you know, jalapeno. My mouth is literally water. Peanut butter (laughs) with like a a jelly or a jam. Oh, yeah. That is like, not the normal business it is the affair of like a a maybe like a, a a zucchini jam or a jam that is a um rutabaga with like a more of a, a salty sweet flavor that goes over the top of it mashed oh on your burger so with like these, these buns that are made out of dripping american you're cheese. such a troll <laughs> uh,